0: Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. A very happy Friday, the 13th, to you as we try and answer your mailbag questions. Appreciate everybody who sends them in. Again, find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Find us on Twitter at kslsports. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook at kslsports, so make sure you do that. And while you're at it, download the KSL Sports app. It's the easiest way to get all of our content delivered directly to your phone. Okay, appreciate everyone who sent in questions today. Again, usually how I do this, if you're new to this, uh, I'll send out a tweet saying I'm going to record a a podcast in the next hour or two, send me your questions, and uh, you Jazz fans like to send them in, so I appreciate it, it makes my life easier, and uh, I like hearing what your narrative and questions are about the team. Let's get started here, waste no time, Parker Brian Holt, do you think the Jazz will have a retro or vintage jersey this year? So the Jazz are going to have their you know typical home and away road jersey. It's not really what they call them anymore, but it's the uh, icon jersey and the uh, the home jersey that they, they tend to go with, the white jersey and the blue jersey. So uh, they'll have those two. Then they should get an earned jersey because they made the playoffs again, and then they generally have another alternative. Uh, so let's keep an eye on it. They actually had five jerseys this year. Here's what I will say, and some of the intel I've got, is that Ryan Smith, new owner for the Jazz, doesn't love the kind of traditional purple jazz note theme. And that goes along with something that Dwayne Wade said recently. Uh, He was asked on Twitter, he said, please make purple the primary color again. And Dwayne Wade said, now you know that would just be typical, and we're anything but typical, we're coming with some new fresh heat. Uh, The jazz... Specifically under Ryan Smith, and I've just noticed this from looking at his style, uh, he tends to prefer black and white. He always wears a black and white jazz hat, either a black hat with a black note logo or a black hat with a white note logo. And he really doesn't change beyond that. You don't see him in a lot of purples. And from what I've been told, he doesn't really love that look. He doesn't really love the purple main color for the Jazz historically, and may try and move away from some of that that retro detail. So while Jazz fans may like it, the purple, the white, the green, uh, I'm not sure that's what the future of this team looks like, at least not the immediate future. And looking at the way the team is branded somewhat in the tunnels underneath the uh, arena, which we've been able to walk through recently during Summer League, the Jazz really are shifting towards more of a black and white theme. So, uh, jazz fans keep an eye on future jerseys looking with more, uh, or having more dark colors featuring more black and white than they have recently. I don't love black and white personally. I don't think those tend to turn out as well as, as I think they look on paper. I think on the floor, they end up uh, not looking fantastic. I don't like the Clippers black and white logo really at all. Some of the net stuff is pretty good though. So it, it's tough to pull off. If you do it right, it can be really effective. If you don't do it right, I think it can look kind of, kind of weak. So, uh, I won't I won't say there won't be more retro uh, jerseys for the Jazz in the future, but I don't think that's the direction the team is necessarily heading under Ryan Smith. I think he wants to rebrand it. I think he wants to have new imaging, new color. Uh, I think you're going to see Vivint Arena shift to a lot more black and white theme. Even the Vivint Arena logo has been taken down off the building and is going black and white. So I think you're going to see more of that. So keep an eye on that. That's the intel I have on that front. Uh, Alex on Twitter. What do you see as the minutes breakdown of the squad, and does that shift throughout the season? Say, like for example, does uh, Dope take us on Whiteside's minutes? I'll actually address that coming up here in another question. Uh, let's look at the starters' minutes last year. Before we address this question, we'll get into the uh, reserves as well. Mike Conley played twenty-nine point four minutes last year. Donovan Mitchell played thirty-three point four. That was the most on the team. Boyan Bogdanovich played thirty point eight. Uh, Royce O'Neal played thirty-one point six. Rudy Gobert played 30.8. So nobody really got close to 35 minutes, which I think is the absolute max you should be playing an NBA player. You know, if you have prime LeBron and he's so healthy and so much stronger than everybody else, play him 35 minutes. Otherwise, you really do have to think about the postseason. So if you can keep minutes at 33 or fewer, you're going to be in good shape. Now, because of Mike Conley's injuries, uh, Donovan Mitchell ended up playing a little bit more because they didn't have... The deepest guard rotation is Joe Ingles. Dealt with some some injuries for the first time in his career. Donovan played a little bit more. I think if you could drop those minutes, potentially, uh, y- you would. But, you know, it's not like anything was drastically out of whack there. Boyan Bogdanovich played 31 minutes almost. He's so good on the floor. and He's such a good scorer. Uh, you want to keep him around that. Though he is, you know, in his early 30s now. Uh, there's some expectation that his drop-off might be a little bit quicker than other players due to his athleticism, though he's not a bad athlete. Uh, So 30 might be a little bit high for him. Royce O'Neal at 31.6 is probably a good number. And keeping Rudy Gobert under 31 minutes when I think there's a real argument that he's the Jazz best regular season player is a good number, but that might be determined by how good the Jazz backups are. Uh, Looking at the bench, Joe Ingles played 28 minutes last year, 27.9 technically. Jordan Clarkson was at 26.7. I have a real theory that you don't want to play Jordan Clarkson much more than 25 minutes if you don't have to. It seems like his effectiveness drops significantly after he hits the 25-minute mark, George Niang played 16, and Derek Favors played 15.3. So uh, I think of the minutes I'm looking at there, you could potentially shave some minutes off of Donovan Mitchell at 33.4 and Joe Ingles at 27.9. Joe's going to be 34 entering next season. He played this offseason with the Boomers, made a deep Olympic run. He should probably be tired. He had to play a lot in the playoffs because Mike Conley was hurt. So I I wouldn't be surprised if you try and take Joe Ingles' numbers down and if you try and take Donovan Mitchell's numbers down a little bit. And either Mike Conley assumes some of those, or you do have good young guards in Jared Butler and Trent Forrest. So if someone could step in as a fifth guard and show that, that you know they give the Jazz a little bit more versatility, it would take Quinn using a 10-man rotation, which he really has never done as the head coach of the Jazz. But if if he wanted to do that, you certainly have some options in Trent Forrest and Jared Butler uh, to drop some of those minutes. And those guys could, could alter what the rotation looks like a little bit. I think you're really happy if you can get 15 minutes from Hassan Whiteside to keep Dar- or to keep Rudy Gobert around 33 minutes or fewer. I do think there's probably more opportunity to increase the numbers at the backup forward spots where George Niang was getting 16 minutes, and I think as a lot of Jazz fans recognize, and I think as the team probably recognized, it was probably three or four minutes too long at times for George Niang to be on the floor. Even while he was very good at his role, uh, he wasn't perfect at that role, and I think the Jazz probably upgraded with the combination of Rudy Gay and Eric Pascoe. So last year, Rudy Gay played 21 minutes for the Spurs. He actually led the team in plus-minus. Technically, Derek White did, but he only played like 30 games, so I don't really count that. Rudy Gay, as far as guys who were fully in the rotation, uh, led the Spurs last year in plus-minus. So that's a good number. He can be effective when he's on the floor. And if the Jazz could get him playing at the three maybe at the four, though he really never played at the three last year, maybe even a little bit at the five if you wanted to play him some small ball center. I think there could be some value there. And I won't be shocked if he's up around 20 minutes as well. And that could give a little bit of added rest to Royce O'Neal, who was second on the team in minutes, maybe a little bit for Boyan Bogdanovich if he sees a drop off. But I don't think we're going to see a significant change to the rotation patterns. I think you're going to see a lot of Uh, Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert mirroring each other's substitution patterns again it was just so good you could allow uh, Rudy Gay to play with that group and his plus minus would soar the same way it did for George Niang last year and you could just have a really really good unit on the floor basically for all 48 minutes I think that's going to be what I'm keeping an eye on but but I suspect maybe Rudy Gay gets a few more minutes than, than George Niang but it probably won't be significantly different. Uh, next question came in from Josh. I got a bunch from Josh on uh, on DMs, which were great. My DMs are always open if you want to follow me at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. And that's an easy way to do it if you don't want to throw your name out there. Or as Josh did, he just had a bunch of questions and I'll address them all here. Uh, he said, do you think we're going to see improvement from Hassan Whiteside being in a drop big coverage and also having a winning culture surrounding him? So the question with Hassan Whiteside, there's a lot. Uh, First of all, why did he fall out of the rotation so badly last year in Sacramento in a spot where he'd played in the town before? He should have been familiar a little bit with the culture, though it was a different head coach, admittedly. Why why was he such a bad fit in Sacramento? I won't rule out that I don't think Luke Walton's a very good coach. I, I think there's real issues there. I don't think he's terrific as a head guy. You've seen a lot of guys leave his teams in the past and explode and have better futures. Julius Randle... Jordan Clarkson, Brandon Ingram, to to mention just a few, guys who have left his tutelage have gone on to be better players. So maybe Hassan Whiteside getting out from underneath Luke Walton helps him, and we saw him in Portland, we saw him in Miami, we know he can be really effective. However, one of the things that kind of struck me is talking to Hassan for the first time at his uh, press conference, was he was talking about, you know, he, he liked how many minutes he was getting in Portland, and it allowed him to really get engaged in the game, and that was part of the reason he was so good. Well, there's just not 30 minutes for him here in Salt Lake. He's not going to get 30 minutes with the Jazz. So can he be engaged in 15 minutes when he's playing, you know, that small middle stretch of the first quarter, small middle stretch of the second, third, and fourth quarters as well, just while Rudy Gobert rests before starting the game, ending the first quarter, starting the second, ending the half, starting the third, ending the third, starting the fourth, and ending the fourth quarter. Can Hassan Whiteside excel filling in those gaps? Is that too few minutes for him to buy in? I think that's possible. Also, he just, despite that he does some of the things that Rudy Gobert does, he doesn't do the most valuable things that Rudy Gobert does. Yes, he blocks shots. Yes, he can play drop coverage, but he doesn't fill space in the pick and roll defensively to keep pressure on the ball handler and then also get back and have the length to disrupt lobs at the rim and whatever the big guy does. He also doesn't really defend multiple actions on the floor. He regularly gets beaten rotations. Um... He really has pretty bad feet sometimes defensively, so he's just out of position. He doesn't rotate quickly, as I mentioned, which allows him to block some shots because he kind of gets there late, and blocking shots is kind of a reflective of not doing your job the first time around. Sometimes it's great if you're a help side shot blocker, but if you're blocking shots as a guy like Hassan Whiteside, a lot of the times it comes because he's allowed another player to get good position to try and score, and then his his last resort is to block shots. That's not really a great defensive game plan. And it's one of the reasons why teams Hassan Whiteside has played on have had really bad defensive ratings. It's because, yeah, he blocks shots, but it comes out of mistakes, you know, that that otherwise turn into baskets. So I'm very curious about how Hassan Whiteside is going to fit. Maybe being on a winning culture helps him. Maybe having pressure from a coaching staff to perform better helps him. Maybe wanting to win helps him late in his career or keep his career alive uh, is a good thing, but he hasn't shown it historically, he really hasn't shown that. So uh, I'm curious about what it's going to look like. I won't be surprised if by mid-season, Yudoka Azabuki is really pushing him for those minutes because he's playing harder. He does a lot of the same things blocking shots and he's a better lob threat. That's the other thing about Whiteside offensively. He's pretty good with his back to the basket and catching the ball and having like a a mid-range jump shot and kind of a push shot. That's just not what the Jazz do. They want to run a lot of pick and roll. He's not a lob threat. He, he just doesn't jump like he used to. He's pretty long, but he doesn't roll super hard to the rim to get easy baskets the way Rudy Gobert does and the way Yudoka Azebuki does. So his fit may not be as good with the Jazz as it was in Portland, and it may make Azebuki's fit better and thus uh, allow him to get some minutes later in the season. Another question from Josh. Can Rudy Gay get closing minutes? His side could be really valuable with the Jazz having two small guards and, the, and other teams having bigger forwards. I think there's a lot of logic to having Gay getting minutes late due to his athleticism, his veteran experience, and his versatility compared to a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich, and certainly what you saw from George Niang last year. As a result, I wouldn't rule that out. But Quinn Snyder generally keeps his rotations pretty sound. He doesn't Change a lot of things situationally, unless it's do or die in the playoffs, uh, you know, or, or absolutely something's not working. But even in a, a one-off between eighty-two games, if things like, hey, maybe you could try and mess things up a little bit, or, or 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 work with different things here. He seems to prefer different X's and O's as opposed to different personnel. Speaking of Quinn Snyder, so I, I would be surprised if Rudy Gay is ending games rather than Boyan Bogdanovich. Also, Boyan Bogdanovich is a much better player than Rudy Gay. And that's no offense to Rudy Gay at this point in his career, but there's a reason Boyan's making $20 million this season and Rudy Gay's making, you know, five and a half. Yeah, he could have gone and played for other teams and he can be really helpful in his role, but Boyan Bogdanovich is just an absolute star on the offensive end. He, he's a near all-star level player. And I understand Jazz fans maybe being a little bit lukewarm on him because of his you know, last season in total. But if you look at the last 10 games when he really got healthy... Uh, and and I think his wrist really did bother him. His conditioning bothered him last season. He averaged 25 points a game. He shot 51% from the floor and 43% from the three-point line over the last 11 games when he was healthy, when he was getting extra minutes because Donovan Mitchell and and Mike Conley were both hurt. So can he play that well if Conley's fully healthy and, and Mitchell's fully healthy? I don't know if Boyan can, but he's always a threat to go off for huge numbers. And I think Jazz fans might be surprised that George Niang and Rudy Gay went off for 20 points the exact same amount of times last year. That was twice. I don't think Rudy Gay comes in and has this huge, huge impact on this Jazz team. His veteran experience, his leadership, his consistency are probably going to help a little bit more than what George Niang did, but he's closer to the player George Niang is than he is you know, to the quality of player Boyan Bogdanovich is. And that's not a knock. I actually think George Niang was really good last year. Boyan Bogdanovich is just truly a, a special player. He's one of the reasons why the Jazz uh, success has, has, has differed pretty dramatically since he joined the team a couple of seasons ago. Maybe Gay closes games in certain situations. I would suspect that's probably in the playoffs if there's just a, a matchup that Boyan absolutely can't be on the floor. Uh, but I think his biggest impact is probably cutting a few minutes out of the rotation for O'Neal and Bogdanovich so he can get up to 20 and those guys get a little bit better rest. And hopefully by the end of the games, uh, they've got a little bit more wind to have more success late. Uh, that's how Rudy Gay, I think can really help this team. Next question coming from Josh. Again, appreciate all these questions from him. Is Jared Butler going to be healthy enough this season to compete for a full-length 82-game season? Also, is he really going to be the backup PG? I know from experience, coaches don't really like young players. So uh, Jared Butler's health is going to be a major question. Uh, I'll just tell you exactly what I heard uh, on draft night talking to some people about Jared Butler and his knees. This is the question I, I got asked. Um, did the jazz get his medical question mark heart condition passed, but he has bad knees, bad kind of, uh, in quotations or, or with a bunch of A's in the middle, there's some significant fear among NBA teams about whether Jared Butler's knees are healthy enough to withstand uh, a career in the NBA. Now he played three seasons at Baylor. He played 30 games every season. He made a deep final four run. He was the best player deep in that run. That's why he won most outstanding player in the tournament and that's all to his credit. If it, Even if he has bad knees, he's found a way to play and be effective on them. But the rigors of the NBA playing four, you know, three to five times a, a week, I guess I should say, as opposed to once or twice a week, uh, as you do in college, is a huge difference. And it's much better players and the games are longer. So he won't be playing as many minutes, but it's, it's a harder level of basketball. Also, he didn't work out at all this summer. I mean, he's been working out individually, but he's not been playing with teams. He had to go through the NBA's fitness to play protocol before he could get on the floor. Then he didn't play summer league. He's not going to be really getting competitive action until the Jazz open gym, which happens two or three weeks before this, the the uh, training camp begins, which will be in early September. The Jazz will open, open gym. So he'll go from April to September without getting real competitive play-in. The idea that he would go from that to you know, in the rotation in late October, I think is too much to ask for a player. On top of that, the Jazz have Mitchell, Conley, who are both all-stars, Jordan Clarkson, who's the sixth man of the year, Joe Ingles, who's the runner-up for sixth man of the year, and Trent Forrest, who they just resigned, who I think has been, you know, pretty incredible in summer league, and has proven he's probably an NBA player. So he maybe enters open gym as the sixth guard in the rotation, coming off of kind of significant injury concerns, and hasn't played. I think it's a lot to expect him to move into the rotation. I do think it would be smart for the Jazz to bring him along slowly, let him get a bunch of G League action this year, maybe alongside Trent Forrest so they can kind of understand the same things together. He's got a better skill set than Trent Forrest has. He's a much better shooter. He's probably not quite the playmaker, but he's a far better ball handler. His understanding of the game is a really high level, though. So is Trent Forrest. He's a much better scorer. He does a lot of things very well. And he's not a bad defensive player like some guys are uh, coming out of college. He's actually a pretty good defensive player, despite the fact that he doesn't have tremendous length. He's got good size. So he's going to be good. If he can stay healthy, he can be a really good NBA player. But I just think you're asking a lot of a guy who hasn't played in a long time. And for the betterment of his long-term future, and the Jazz have really done this a lot for guys, that they've looked out for their long-term careers as opposed to, you know, can you burn this guy up really quick and get a little bit out of him and ruin his career in the the process, the Jazz will probably look at this as a long-term or a big-picture view with Jared Butler and say, let's go slow with him at the beginning, get him healthy, limit some of his playing time and make sure he's ready for a productive NBA career. Cause that'll pay off tomorrow where the jazz don't really need more guards right now at this point. So I don't expect Jared Butler to be in the rotation. I think he'll get a lot of minutes in the G league. And then if he can stay healthy, he can be a very valuable piece for the team down the line. Final question here. Do you think the jazz move on from Joe Ingalls before or during the trade deadline? I'm really fascinated by Joe Ingalls this year. That was another question from Josh, by the way. Um, he's on an expiring contract. He's on the jazz biggest expiring contract this year at $14 million. The team is really deep in the luxury tax. So when you look at, you know, what you have to pay in penalties, it's like $30 million they're paying for Joe Ingalls this year with the luxury tax penalties. If Conley and Mitchell stay healthy, he's the third or the fourth best guard on the team, depending on what you're getting from Jordan Clarkson, who, when he's on, he's spectacular. And when he's off, he's, he's pretty hard to have on the floor at times. So, uh, those are big questions. That's a lot of money to pay for a guy if you're if you're factoring in the the luxury tax penalties for a guy who's not, you know, one of your one or two best players at his position. Uh but after last year's well, I should say maybe in addition to last year's playoff series where he was so good against the Clippers with Mike Conley hurt, you understand why another team might be willing to pay a pretty good price to get Joe Ingles on their team. If you're let's say Washington, you know, and and you got rid of Russell Westbrook, but you want another guard to kind of handle some of the playmaking duties from a guy in Bradley Beal to alleviate him as you're making a playoff run uh, or trying to get into the playoffs, Joe Ingles probably comes in and, and helps a lot. You know, Joe Ingles could really be a very valuable starting point guard in the playoffs, and those guys are hard to come by. So, would you give up a first round pick for a guy like that? If you're trying to prove that, Hey, we belong, we're trying to show Bradley Beal that we want to, you know, we're serious about contending and we'll, we'll pay the price to get you good pieces. You know, can the jazz pass that up for $30 million in luxury tax savings, plus an opportunity to get a first round draft pick, which they're pretty depleted on over the next few years because of previous trades they've made. I think there's value in that. Uh, I think if you could do something like that, the jazz would have to take a long, hard look at it. Uh, If Trent Forrest or Jared Butler have proven they are kind of rotation-worthy players that could get some minutes in the postseason and actually help you and not cost you the game, that's pretty valuable. And you could carve out some extra minutes for those guys down the stretch. What happens with Joe Ingles after winning a bronze medal? Does this season become kind of a victory lap at the end of his NBA career because his contract's expiring and he's got young kids that he wants to take back to Australia to kind of start the second half of his life? Or... Does he play super loose and super free and does that make him a better basketball player? Uh, Joe's a different guy. He's got kind of different priorities than a lot of people in the NBA. Uh, He's got a different perspective and I don't think it's an unhealthy perspective. It's just a little bit different. So I think he could react to this bronze medal with the boomers differently than some other guys might, you know? So I think those are all different types of questions. What isn't a question is that Joe Ingles is a top 100 player in the NBA, and as you saw last year in the playoffs, you're better with him on your team than him not on your team. Now, some of that depends on his role. He was much better as a starter against the Clippers than he was as a reserve uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. That should factor in as well as, as far as what the Jazz do at the, at the trade deadline. So if you're healthy and you can get a first-round pick for him and one of the other guys has proven that they're, they're ready to step in and play, whether it's Jared Butler or Trent Forrest or Mi Aone or whoever, then maybe you, you focus on making that move. But if you want to go all in and you're okay paying the luxury tax bill and no one's offering a first-round draft pick for Joe Ingles, you're happy to have him on your team because he can help you win in the playoffs. That'll do it for this episode of the Jazz Notes Podcast. Again, I really appreciate all the questions. I'm going to keep doing this every week, so I appreciate you sending them in. If you have something that pops in your mind, send me a DM, even if I haven't sent out the tweet asking for questions, and I'll try to address it in next week's episode. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. That's the best way to interact with me. Follow kslsports.com on Twitter at kslsports. Uh, follow us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and download the KSL Sports app as well. And we'll be back to you again next week.